One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome back to Season 5 of Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast. This week I am joined by hypnotherapist and author Fiona Brennan. She's the author of positive habit and her new book is called The Self-Love Habit and we have a great conversation about the practicality of self-love, how to bring more of it into your life, why it's really crucial if you want to own your anxiety and working on the core belief of really accepting that no matter what your situation is, no matter your background or where you're at in life, you are lovable. We talk about a lot of these assumptions and cynicism that surrounds self-love as well because to be honest I've been guilty of it myself. Don't forget my new book, Naked, 10 Truths to Change Your Life, is out now. It's all about harnessing your vulnerability and giving you a much calmer, less anxious, less stressful life. So do look that up. It's available in all good bookstores and some crappy ones too, which I love saying so much. Enjoy the conversation. Don't forget to subscribe and review. Fiona Brennan, thank you so, so much for joining me on Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast today. Unfortunately, we're over Zoom and we're not in person, but I feel like I've watched you so much on social media and listened to you on Today FM that I feel like I already know you. That's exactly it, Caroline. I feel the same. As soon as I saw you there, I was like, I feel like we we have met, which is so nice, isn't it? When we actually, in reality, haven't. It's a really nice benefit of the pandemic, I think, is that we've all related to each other so much more, even though we're stuck behind a virtual barrier we're still able to connect. It's really true, actually. Yeah. And I think we're getting closer in some ways, you know, um, ironically, like, for example, just on the off the side here, my sister lives in Berlin and it was her birthday there on Saturday. And, you know, yourself, you should be like, oh, well, Orla's away. There's not much we can do, you know, whereas I had a lovely kind of Zoom gathering for her with her friends. And it was absolutely gorgeous and something we never would have thought of. I think we just will take what we can get right now, I suppose. But Fiona, you are a hypnotherapist. Yep. You're the author of the best-selling book, The Positive Habit, and your new book is called The Self-Love Habit. So congratulations on the launch of that and the success of the previous book. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm very excited about the new book. I'm sure maybe you relate, but you, you always feel like 
Um, well, I've only done two books. It's where I was like, I had millions behind me here. But you feel like your your new book is the best that you have yet. Do you feel that, Caroline? I do when I come out of the other side of having it written and in, in my hand. I find that while I'm in the process of writing it, I'm like, oh God, this is awful. Like you can't strike gold again. The first book did well. You can't do it again. Like second album syndrome when you're in the middle of it. And then when it comes out of it, you're like, when you take a bit of space, I think from it, you're like, actually, this is really useful because I don't know about you, but when I write anything, particularly my books, I write what I think I would find useful myself as someone who goes through all the feelings that I'm talking about. So do you write for yourself as well? I do, but I say predominantly like what what has helped me to write is my clients because they are the window into the world in terms of really getting insights into human patterns and connections. And, you know, I I do see the same things play out uh, different contexts, you know, but for example, uh, you know, self-doubt and, you know, really caring way too much what other people think. Um, not feeling good enough, all of these things that we can relate to, but seeing them again and again in, in different people um, in different contexts, I think gives me that understanding um, that, I, that I value so much, like I really do. I suppose you have like access to so much information and you know exactly what support they need. Now, obviously the theme of this podcast and everything that I focus on it typically is, is around anxiety and someone might think of self-love and think well what's that going to do for me but for me anyway only in the last year I've really discovered self-compassion as really the most essential tool if we want to manage our anxiety and I know a lot of people myself included a few years ago would have probably rolled my eyes at that and thought oh well if I could just love myself and that was going to make everything better then I would have done that by now you know a bit of cynicism there so I really want to delve into that you know in a completely non-judgmental way I just I know that cynicism exists absolutely but yeah for you where where did the self-love idea for this book come from is it something that we just so desperately need in the current times is it something that you see we're, we're having resistance against with your clients yeah, I think we need it in all times. I don't think it's necessarily related to what's going on in the world right now. I think it's it's something that's it's always been necessary. And it's a really good connection there in terms of anxiety and self-love. They, you know, for me, that is ultimately, I wouldn't say the solution because I don't believe there is necessarily a solution because it's not necessarily a problem, but it is certainly the most healing uh, way of soothing ourselves when we feel anxiety. And that is what I specialize in. That's like what I have personal experience of. And it's what I understand. I think most really is, is the world of anxiety. And that's why I'm so delighted to be on this podcast because it's so clearly defined and targeted for people who suffer from it. And there's so many people who do, which is very unfortunate, but is the reality of the situation. So I think that self-love is is where we we start to move into a, a whole different realm in terms of the ability to love the parts of ourselves that are unlovable. And that's really what the book is about. And it relates again, Caroline, I think, to, to a lot of, of your work. And that's, again, why I think there's, there's so much uh, synergy here in terms of vulnerability. You know, I've heard you speak so much, obviously, about your own book recently and that sense of when we come to peace with our vulnerability, the vulnerability itself uh, is no longer a weakness. It becomes a strength. And I think it's the same with anxiety. When we love our anxiety, 
you know, back to owning it as well in that terms of, you know, really embracing it and the opposite of trying to get rid of it, but open the door to it and allow it to feel that it has a place within the totality of who we are. And loving it is is what actually starts to help it to transform into something that's very powerful. It's so hard because I think, okay, me and you are very immersed in this world of understanding a lot about why we feel the way we do, why we think the way we do. But for someone, for example, who maybe starts experiencing anxiety for the first time and they've never bothered to really understand it because they didn't need to, I find that you start from a point almost always of self-criticism, being hard on yourself, especially being Irish, you know, get on with it, have a cup of tea, you're grand. It's almost like self-love, if we manage to get there, is like the last thing we try. And we start off by thinking, no one's going to like their anxiety, let alone, you know, it's hard to tolerate, let alone embrace or love. But ultimately that acceptance of it, for me, I can speak from my own experience, really did end up being the key. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you're so spot on, Caroline, because you know, when I meet clients for the first time, you know, they come through my door and they want one thing and they just want me to get rid of that part of themselves. They're just like, that's why they're coming. You know, they've been waiting maybe months to come and see me and they're like so relieved, like you're going to fix me. You're going to get rid of this anxiety. You're going to walk out here a new person. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's often, you know, just through making that person feel safe with me first and foremost, in that situation allows them to start to feel that they can also feel more safe with their own anxiety and that the solution is not to, you know, purge it or get rid of it or cut it out, but to actually really learn from it. Um, and that's where we get curious. You know, it's like you're not critical, but you're you really just want to understand and you want to embrace it and reach out to it. And so many people like will resist that, you know, and that is totally understandable again, because we don't like pain, you know, we're, we're pleasure seeking creatures um, and we're driven towards reward and et cetera. So when when we feel emotion, I think emotional pain is the hardest for any of us to to, to carry. And um, so, of course, we're going to want to get away from that. But ultimately, when you help a person and it's got to be done so mindfully it's got to be done so um gently with at the right time in the right amount you know that's that's the skill I think it's kind of like I don't know this analogy just coming to me is like cooking or something you know you've got to make sure that you're you're, you're adding the right ingredients at the right time and um, to get the, the best result if you try to do too much too quickly you can overwhelm a person, as you say, who isn't in the same uh, sort of daily, like, as you say, we're so kind of accustomed to this. We, we, we're, we're constantly exposed to this world and not everybody clearly is. And um, so you've got to work with that person at the pace that is right for them and to build strength. I always sort of use the phrase, it's really about working with yourself rather than working against yourself. And I assume everyone who comes through your door be it virtual or, or real is very much resisting what is and like you say I was that person I was like marching somewhere being like make it go away I'm going to walk out of here a new woman I'm going to think my way out of it and I never want to feel it again and you know it's it's really hard to get to that point of of acceptance and being told well the way around it is to allow for it and to lean into it and I suppose self-love 
is another way of working with yourself rather than against yourself. But why do we find self-love so hard? Well, there's there's quite a few blocks to self-love. The first one is, I would say, conditioning, childhood conditioning. We're not, we're never taught how to do this. We're taught how to love other people. And we're taught essentially the message, even though it might not be, you know, as bluntly put, but to love ourselves is effectively a selfish thing. Or arrogant or don't you, oh, you think you're great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or I heard recently that made me laugh. It's like if you were a bar of chocolate, you'd eat yourself, you know, this kind of old mentality or, you know, of being very um, too big for your boots. It's more socially acceptable to kind of think poorly of yourself or to put yourself down. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Because that's what people feel more comfortable with. Um, and it is changing. I mean, you see in America, you know, the, there's a very different mentality there, there, There's sort of no shame, which is a great thing of, of actually saying, yeah, I did a really good job and I'm really happy with it. And you're like, wow, you know, it's, 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 it is inspiring um, without being cocky. And that's the balance again. You know, I think that's a really fine line. However, one of the blocks I would say, yeah, is is that childhood conditioning and the, and the sort of shame around it of, 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 of seeing ourselves in a good light. And yet, you know, the, the whole core message in the book is that it is the most selfless thing you can do. Uh, and I really, I really genuinely believe that. I think that when we love ourselves, it's the most kindest gift we give to everyone, um, you know, from our, our family, from our partners, our children, our parents, to the person who, you know, serves us coffee. We're, we're just so much nicer to be around. Um, and we exude an energy that is so supportive for other people. So, it, you know, that's essentially so important to keep coming back to the relationship with ourselves. So I would say that childhood conditioning is one of the blocks. Another block that I see time and time again is perfectionism. It's like a form of, of self-cruelty, I think. And I see it so much in my work. I see it in particular with high achievers where, you know, nothing is ever good enough and uh, no achievement is ever acknowledged. It's always next. It's always what's next. And that in itself is a block to self-love because if you're constantly saying what's next, you're never actually stopping and saying, here I am right now. And um, Niall Bresnan actually wrote the foreword for the book and he describes that really well. Like he's got such an amazing insight, um, as you know. And he he basically said that himself, you know, that one of the, the key things that helped him on his road to recovery was self-compassion. In a, in a sense, that is really self-love as well, to be kind to ourselves. Um, and that when he was younger, he never, ever like gave himself credit for any achievement that he had uh, he would just completely brush it off and um, never gave himself the time to just acknowledge well done and I think if we can cultivate like a voice in our mind and I've done this for myself and it's just so lovely it's like you have a voice that tells you I'm so proud of you and those are words that we love to hear you know it goes right back to childhood to know that our parents are proud of us and sometimes we hear it and sometimes we don't. And some children never hear it. So having that consistent voice in your own mind that is not focused on the results of whatever it is that we're trying to achieve, but on the effort and says, you know, I'm so proud of, of you right now. And that gives huge boost for our self-esteem and also combat perfectionism. 
which is really destructive. It's such a source of anxiety as well, because I mean, the, the goalposts keep shifting, you know, you tick all the boxes that, of perfectionism, but is anything ever really perfect? You're always going to fall short. And that's just something I think has been a big thing for me of getting to a point of relative success and not knowing what to do with it then. It's like I wrote about this in my second book, like what is the point of being so driven by perfectionism and success, whatever that might mean to you, and then getting there and being like, just diminishing it. Oh, that was nothing or anyone could have done that. Like, I'm so guilty of that all the time. And I just don't do myself any favors with how I talk to myself, I suppose. You know, if you can't enjoy it, like then what, I I honestly don't know what the point is, you know, because if you're not enjoying it, then it's taking away from the energy of, of what it's, you know, doing in the world and the greater scheme of things. And I think, again, that's how self-love is so important, because you are able to rise above yourself, you know, in any situation. So, you know, whatever it might be, it could be someone who, you know, has a presentation to give at work and they're really nervous. And, you know, I see a lot of clients with this in particular. And what I often say is, well, what is the actual driving force of this? What is this about? And it's actually really about you ultimately it isn't right there's a message there that needs to be delivered so when we focus on that message and we rise above ourselves when we've built up our own self-esteem and our own sense of peace within ourselves then we're in a position that is just amazing because now you actually have so much to give and you're not concerned about if you're stuttering or if your makeup is okay or you know all of these things that that we can feel very self-conscious about all of that you're much more at peace with it And therefore, you're delivering to the world the best that you can. So again, it just shows you, you know, illustrates how selfless it can be, not just within our personal relationships, but also within our work and our, you know, service to to humanity. Yeah. And what are some assumptions about self-love? Because I think, I mean, I would have in the past, until I kind of looked into it, thought maybe it's a bit airy-fairy or sounds like a nice idea. But do you think we get the idea of self-love wrong and the impact it can have on us? Yeah, I think we do. I think that it, it, it immediately, even it sounds a little selfish, like <laughs> a word that people find more comfortable with. And I think men would probably feel more comfortable as well is self-esteem. And those words can be interchangeable in many ways, self-love and self-esteem, because ultimately it's about valuing ourselves uh, as much as anybody else, not more and not less. So, yeah, I think that I think it is moving in the right direction, Carol. I think it isn't quite as weighted as it was. Um, but there's still that connotation of selfishness. And, and that is something that I really want to, to work hard at, at breaking down. And what about the whole, you know, the whole snowflake rhetoric of the millennial generation of, well, actually, I don't think I even fall into millennial bracket. But, um, no, I certainly don't, I can tell you. <laughs> but being your own best friend, I think a lot of people from my parents generation might have been more tough love you know because we think that's going to be more motivating and what I was really interested to learn was like that it actually does the opposite like it it perpetuates a stress response when we kind of launch an attack on ourselves and when we turn to that self-critic mode whereas self-love or self-compassion if they're the same thing kind of dial down the stress response for us absolutely yeah of course yeah well I think that on a generational point of view there it's like we're talking a different language and we've got to to remember in terms of the context of of when let's say you know my parents certainly and your parents maybe as well grew up that it was this was not 
it's like we're, we we could be speaking, you know, Chinese right now and you wouldn't understand the language. It's just so something that is evolving. Um, and it's a very important thing that's evolving because what's evolving is an awareness of mental health and, and mental health not being a word or anxiety, for example, being a word that is bad, negative or something to be afraid of. Like what's really interesting is I would have suffered from anxiety, certainly into, you know, my, my teenage and, and early adulthood. But I didn't know that what that word was like, not like today, like when you hear it, oh, you know, she suffers from anxiety or we kind of know what it means. And back then it wasn't even a term that I would have understood. It was like a, a word I didn't know. So you you go back again, another generation to, to, you know, my parents where mental health was, you know, if you even said that, it was like, well, oh, my God, you know, are you going to go into an institution? And there was just so little knowledge. We know so much more now than we've ever known. Like in the last 20 years, we know more about how the brain works, you know, thanks to MRI scanning. We didn't know, for example, um, that you know the brain is capable of changing itself. We didn't know that there's hope there if, if we are suffering from anxiety or depression, that there's a lot that can be done. There was a much more fatalistic um, perspective, I think. And that's why a lot of the stigma around it. So yeah, I think that you know there's a lot of judgment there. I, I don't like the term the snowflake generation. I think it's unhelpful. I think that is essentially any kind of awareness is a positive thing. And I, I'm just so happy that younger people today know what anxiety is. <laughs> it would have been so helpful 20 years ago if I had, had, had known that. Something that I think is really important, um, I don't know if you covered this in the book, but we're all obviously trying to work on our own relationship with ourselves and our perception of self-love as not just being, oh, you're just going too easy on yourself, but it being really essential and paramount for everything you know in our lives from managing anxiety to our relationships but do you think we also need to work on our perception of self-love when it comes to other people when they exhibit their own self-love and that we don't we have to check ourselves when we perceive it as like you said there he'd eat himself if he was a bar of chocolate (laughs) whether it's confidence or self-love that when it comes from another person that we say look well like isn't it great that they feel confident about themselves that we don't instantly jump to assume something negative Again, absolutely. But I would say it still comes back to the self. So so someone who maybe does judge others for loving themselves or sees that as a negative thing or as a cocky, boastful thing, then again, I would say, well, look, you need to come back to yourself because there's there's some insecurities in there that make you uncomfortable when you feel when someone else is so comfortable within themselves. So it's obviously triggering, you know, maybe jealousy or whatever it might be. And that that needs your attention. So it's like we, we learn so much from other people, but the answer always just keeps coming back to what can we do within ourselves? So if you feel like that, then yeah, it's, it's definitely an alarm bell that you need more self-love. I want to ask you if you can tell me a little bit about the divided self and loving the parts of ourselves that we think are unlovable, because that's probably, if you can get to that point in life, you're golden. Well, again, this is a huge part of the book and the way that I am... Um, break it down is, is is to explore the divided self and I just make it as simple as I can for the reader because I do think when you're suffering from anxiety or any kind of you know self-esteem issues things need to be clear so I simply put it into part a and part b there's many more parts of us but if we just can get that identity of, of the two sort of main players if you like and um, and I think a lot of people relate to that in terms of 
part of me feels one way and part of me feels another. You know, the amount of time, I'm sure you've said it yourself, Carly, part of me feels like, you know, I want to go and do this and part of me is not so sure. Um, and that's the inner conflict, the divide itself. So we need to explore those two parts. And the way I look at it is that part A is the beholder. So that is, in a sense, our conscious awareness and the non-judgmental presence that, that we all have within us when we kind of awaken to it. And then part B is the, the shadow self and the unconscious, the subconscious mind, the part where anxiety lives, essentially. And then it's like, what is the relationship like between those two parts? Because ultimately, people will say, I just want rid of the shadow self. Like I said earlier, it's like, just get rid of that. and Let me dwell in that lovely beholder space. However, what we want is to work on the relationship between the two parts and to take away the idea that part B, the shadow self, is negative because it isn't. It's, it, we've got huge power within, within part B, the shadow self. And again, just think if you're, if you're walking down a road and you see your shadow, you know, it's like, are you frightened of your own shadow? And if so, you know, who are you without your shadow? What would it be like not to have a shadow? You wouldn't exist, right? Because you need to reflect back and your reflection. Uh, so, yeah, I, I really look at that. And then I, I talk about the united self. So there's the divided self. And then it's looking at how can we merge these parts together? And again, looking at the blocks that would stop someone from doing that. Like we discussed earlier, for example, childhood conditioning, perfectionism, distraction would be another one that people, you know, distract themselves from as soon as they feel any anxiety or fear or discomfort the impulse is to you know just completely distract ourselves which is very easy to do in terms of you know get onto netflix or drink some wine or whatever it might be that people do like you you owe it to yourself to spend time with yourself in a very kind reflective way because no relationship is going to actually flourish or blossom if it's ignored even on a budget Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com 
slash host. Yeah. In terms of someone who's listening and is really struggling with anxiety, whether it's work anxiety or, or, you know, even physical symptoms of anxiety, the anxiety itself that you're hating and, you know, it's not something tangible you can put your finger on. How do you see self-love as having a positive impact? Why do you think it's key for someone to own their anxiety? It can be helpful to think of that as an external relationship. So, you know, you have a lovely new baby, Caroline, and your baby will cry sometimes, I imagine. It sure does. And your job as his mother is to be there for him, whether he's crying or he's smiling. Isn't that true? It's like you want to be that presence that accepts him completely whether he's in a good mood, whether he's tired, whatever it might be, your love doesn't change. And that is essentially what we really want to replicate within the internal model of ourselves. And that is something that on the journey through life, that gets broken, you know, along the way, we start to pick up ideas about ourselves that are not acceptable. And we, we, I talk about the orphan selves, you know, you kind of, we, we tend to shun these parts of ourselves and put them into to dark corners or, you know, basements of our souls almost and, and ignore them and hope that they'll go away. Whereas, you know, that maternal love is so strong. It's like there really isn't anything that our children, that's how I feel as a mother, is that there's nothing my son couldn't do that, I would, that would stop me loving him. And that is essentially what we want to replicate within ourselves. We want to bring that level of of care and unconditional support. So that's how it's so incredibly powerful when it comes to anxiety, because that soothing maternal uh, presence is the very thing that soothes us internally. Um, And that's why I think self-love is a hugely powerful way to to manage anxiety mm. and even just maybe it's a lifestyle issue that's causing anxiety but even if you can just allow for it and say okay you're doing your best that already can take the horns off the anxiety I suppose before you've even gone about practically making a change if that's what you have to do absolutely yeah and, and it is a skill and I think that's you know that's why a lot of my work um, I always go back to habit the positive habit the self-love habit habit is hugely important Um, because it it encapsulates the responsibility that we have to ourselves, that it's not just a once off. It's like if I tell myself I'm proud of myself once and then the next day I'm back to berating myself, well, then it's not going to, you know, be effective or sustainable. So bringing habit to it and learning it, like, like we do a language, you know, you learn emotional skills. And I think that's where positive psychology where hypnotherapy for example are really wonderful ways of actually moving forward that we're not looking at just getting to a place where we're okay but we're actually getting to a place where we're really thriving and flourishing and reaching our potential as as human beings and not for the self but for the for the greater good yeah absolutely I want to ask you in a moment just about practical ways we can bring more self-love into our lives but just as you're talking there I was thinking that when you mentioned like different blocks towards self-love I suppose as much as you could try and practice the habit of self-love it's not going to work for you if you have a core 
belief about yourself that you're unlovable, which I think a lot of people do. So before you go about applying, you know, self-love practices, how would you advise someone works on that, changing that belief? Or can we change that belief about ourselves that no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what we've been through or what we think about our lives, that we're lovable to begin with? Yes, I think we can. And it's a good, really good question, Caroline, because it, it goes to the heart of of the matter in terms of a deeper subconscious level. So what you're talking about there is if someone feels unlovable, it'll go way back. There's going to be roots and origins of to where that came from. It certainly wasn't there the day that they were born. Um, You know yourself again, like, and I think that's why you're in in such an amazing place in your life is, is to have a new baby because it just highlights everything so clearly, you know, in terms of, you can see your lovely son when he came into the world. It's like he's just ready to be loved, isn't he? He's not yeah, it's all they need. It. It's all they need. Yeah, exactly. And they don't question, am I lovable? We instinctively know that we're lovable. We know that because we've been born. That's, that's enough in itself. We exist. And therefore, we exist. We, we're open to love. Um, so essentially, it's it's really helping a person to get back to that place within themselves where they're not um, conditioned into believing what what they may have learned along the journey since that point. Uh, so and that is, again, that's what I, I talk about. The beholder, the beholder is that presence that we, you know, we see in babies so easily is that that's why we all love them. Like, you know, because they are present and they have that amazing energy. It's just like when you're open to it, your whole world can can shift when you're holding a baby in your arms because they have what we all miss, I think. And I think we miss that and, and we're not even aware of it. So what I would do is I would work with someone really in terms of, on a subconscious level. And that's where hypnotherapy is, is very useful. And I think, again, there's as much as mis- misconceptions, Caroline, about self-love, there's a whole bundle more about hypnosis and hypnotherapy. And that's important as well, because it isn't anything kind of macabre or strange. It's not so a million miles from meditation. The brain areas that are used, you know, that are light up in meditation or lit up in, in hypnotherapy. And I suppose what's what's different is that it's very focused on a particular thing. So with meditation, we're we're, we're really looking at, which is very important, and I practice myself, mindfulness, et cetera, is is to bring that awareness to the moment and to to enter into the moment, to be present. Whereas hypnotherapy, for example, with someone who, who feels unlovable, you could look at trying to get clarity on that reason for when that first started the origins of that and to go right back into the heart of it and you know maybe speak to the inner child speak to the inner teenager a lot of people will will carry um you know a lot of negativity about themselves from those years uh, where we're very susceptible to to what other people think of us it's like the subconscious is very malleable and when you have that focused awareness when you're not distracted that's where you can make really nice, subtle transitions. But again, with repetition, with habit. Yeah, it doesn't happen overnight at all. Yeah, it doesn't. And I think, again, a misconception people have is that, you know, and a lot of hypnotherapists kind of 
market themselves in that way and that's something I've always tried really hard not to do and you know is you know come for one session or two sessions pure anxiety and in three sessions and all this kind of thing I really don't think it's ethical yeah it's just a recipe for disaster because people like me who were in a very vulnerable position read that and think okay well I go and I go twice and then if it's not working you're like why is it not working for me like is my anxiety so bad that like it it's happening for everyone else they can snap out of it in two sessions but I can't it's dangerous wording yeah it's you've got to be so ethical because people are vulnerable and you're so right people will blame themselves then which is the worst thing then that perpetuates more anxiety which is where I found myself and I was like well nothing works for me everything I'm reading online now this is back yeah. in 2014 where you would read something that would say do this one thing unlock the secret and I was like what's the fucking secret and I was like putting in bank details like paying whatever just tell me what the secret is and that's how little understanding I had about anxiety you know in the first place but I'm just conscious of time and yeah, sure, yeah. so I'd love to be able to give listeners some let's assume that they have worked on the the belief of believing that they are worthy of love even if they don't practice it daily so how can we actually bring it into our lives daily is it how we start our day is it how we end our day give me some really practical pointers here yeah I would say Caroline that again it comes back to as you say starting and ending your day so with the book I have two audios one is called love to rise and love to sleep and this is again you know, just when we're emerging from sleep and going to sleep, our subconscious is most open. You know, that kind of feeling where you're drifting in and out, you're not quite sure. That's where you really want to get these loving suggestions in. So a practical thing I, I really believe in is, is topping and tailing your day with um, some powerful audios that will help you. It's really practical, really accessible. And again, it, you know, it's not just once, but it's it's the habit of it. And, that, and that's what I've seen over the years with my clients. It's the people who actually put in that effort really reap the rewards. Um, another exercise I talk about in the book, and again, my clients, is soul mirror work. And you I'm, you probably come across this in different no, areas. No, soul mirror. Soul mirror work. And that is essentially where we look for at least two minutes into our mirror. And it's about looking at ourselves, maintaining eye contact, and we look beyond the physical. So, you know, most people look, when we look in the mirror, what do we do? We're looking for flaws. We're looking to correct ourselves. We're looking to see if our bags under our eyes, all of these things. And essentially what we want to do is we want to get right back to how we would have looked at ourselves as babies, as toddlers, which was without judgment it's just so lovely to see like a young child look in the mirror you know they are just amazing because they're just so curious and fun and they're smiling at themselves and they're laughing at themselves and that's what we want to recreate we want to bring that back it's still within us but we need to find it we need to remember uh, what that's like to, to look beyond the physical and it's incredibly powerful because when you can maintain really good eye contact with yourself it actually translates to how you maintain eye contact with other people. Your confidence, your self-esteem just goes way up. And um, you wouldn't, you know, it's, it's, you can't quite see the connection, but it's like the more at peace you are with yourself, then the more at peace you are with others. So that would be another thing that I'd say is really important. Another aspect I, I think is to actually, and I have this in the book as well, is writing love letters to ourselves. You know, again, you probably have heard the research shows that when we write things down, it's much more impactful and we're more likely to, to really absorb it. And 
writing down a letter to, for example, to your eight-year-old self, what did your eight-year-old self need to hear that they didn't hear? And saying that, really sort of connecting into that inner child and saying, what is it that you needed back then? And what you'll find is, you know, for example, if your eight-year-old self maybe, I don't know, felt left out, you know, that, that awful feeling of being picked last in, you know, PE or sports or whatever it might be, and your eight-year-old is just standing there squirming full of fear and shame and embarrassment. And what did they need to hear? Well, they probably need to hear, you're not judged upon this. You are worthy as you are. And what's happening right now isn't a good thing, but you're a good person or whatever it might be. And you say that to yourself. And what's amazing, again, is that you'll notice that it's what you, you still need to hear. It's what you need to hear when you're in a meeting and you start to get nervous when you're waiting for your turn to speak. And that's a really common thing is where people will be, you know, they're going around the table, for example, and, and now you're next. And as you're waiting, that you know, people can feel a lot of anxiety. So what's really interesting is that we're carrying so many things that are unconscious. And when we start to explore them and own them, they become so helpful in our lives today. Already, that's, you know, several things we can implement today if we want to. And I'd love to just go one step further. I think it's easier to, to apply these things when we feel well. But if someone is really in an anxious wave or they've just come out of a panic attack, it's default to just be like, oh, like, why can't you just be OK? You know, just be, don't be ridiculous. Like, you've no reason to be panicked. I'll tell you what I do in the moment if I, if I find myself having come out of like a, a wave of, of panic or really feeling awful anxiety and, and I just a sentence I say to myself is you know how can I help what is the one thing I can do right now that might make myself feel a little bit better is there anything that you would add to that in terms of self-love in that acute moment when you need it most yeah I think there are really good things that you, you've pointed out yourself how can I help I think is, is a really important one again it comes back to that skill of beholding the anxiety and being able to tolerate it within yourself through the breath, I think, you know, the breath is hugely important because we can actually support it, you know, as we feel it, we're breathing into it. It's like Thich Nhat Hanh, I don't know if you know his work, he's, he's amazing, and um, Vietnamese Buddhist no. monk, or oh, you'd love him, Caroline, you really would. Have, have a look at his work. Thich Nhat Hanh, he's a Vietnamese monk, he's, he's old now, he talks about how holding an emotion and whether it's anger, whether it's fear, like you're talking about intense panic, anxiety, is to literally stop what you're doing, right? Whatever it is you're trying to do, if you're getting into an overwhelmed state, like, you know, trying to work on something and you've got to get it done and, you know, really that pressure is to actually have the awareness to say, okay, pause. Like you would again, if you're, you know, working with a child or someone you love, you'd say, sweetheart, come over here and sit down. And you sit down and you get onto your bed or onto, you know, some way that you're actually you're you're able to access the deepest um, belly breaths that you can, and you breathe into what whatever that emotion is. So you have that awareness. Yes, I feel fear. Yes, it's here, but you're breathing into it at that moment, and it as you know it does pass. Like it always passes, but it'll pass so much faster when we pause and stop. And sit with it. Don't try to distract yourself. Don't try to um, keep going. Don't get panicked by the fear itself, but really breathing into it. And pure acceptance of it is so powerful. Again, like you would 
with a child who was overwhelmed or upset. You would guide them away, say, sweetheart, it's okay. Let's have a little sit down and let's do our belly breathing. And I think every parent, you know, really needs to help their children do that, to teach their children that skill of managing emotions. Yeah, it's almost like we need to cultivate like a second voice that can talk to ourselves. Like you say, come on, sweetheart, take a sit down, even though you might feel like a bit mad <laughs> talking to yourself. But how when you take it away from it being I and being you, it helps maybe position it differently. And then you, you're maybe more receptive to it because we find it easier to give love to others. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, when you say it makes us sound a bit madder, but we're doing it anyway. But quite often it's a harsh voice. So it's like, why not let that voice be a loving voice? So it is the inner mother, if you like, um, nurturing us. Um, and that is the beholder. That is part A that uh, I referred to earlier that can really hold all of the different emotions, but is not identified with any of them. And that's that's the real skill. Uh, and it is a skill, you know, I, I, and I don't think it's something that happens, as you say, at all overnight. It's something I think that we work on our whole lives long. I mean, I'm still working on it. It's never like I get to the point where I say that's it. And um, because we're we're constantly meet new challenges like we have now, <laughs> you know, in lockdown or whatever it might be. Yeah. I can't thank you enough for your time and your expertise. There's so much practical stuff there that I think a listener can put into action right away and lots of food for thought, especially for me. I've been in a, the midst of trying to battle with these naps during the day, trying to get my baby to sleep and I keep blaming myself. So I'm going to write a little few notes to myself uh, in my journal now and, and try and be a little bit kinder to myself and see how I get on. I encourage everyone obviously to go and get the book and you know remember it's the self-love habit and not the self-love cure or solution it's something to it's a lifestyle choice but congratulations on the book and all of your work and i wish you the best of luck thank you caroline it's such a pleasure to to be with you and thanks so much for having me on and keep going you can do it you <laughs> oh, you thank can. you hello there caroline foreign here i'm the host of owning it the anxiety podcast okay let's take a little moment to talk about your gnashers your teeth your mouth the gateway to your whole body did you know that your oral health can have such a massive impact on your overall health and well-being? I didn't, but it's true, and it's worthy of our attention if self-care is a top priority, which it is. Sensitive teeth and throbbing gums are the last thing you need when you're working so hard with me to bring down your anxiety levels. One minute you're calm, the next minute you're wincing at the combination of a hot cup of tea and a cold bowl of cereal. Not fun. All of that physical discomfort will only add to our woes, keeping you tense and unable to fully relax, thus making you feel poorly. So if this has been something you're prone to dealing with, and it's most common for those of us between the ages of 20 and 40, let's do ourselves a favour and take it off our plate with the help of Oral-B Sensitivity and Gum Cam. Not only should you have a pack of Oral-B Gum Cam to hand, as it instantly calms your teeth and soothes your gums, it really works. You should do what you can to avoid sensitive teeth in the first place. I suppose it's similar in ways to how we deal with anxiety. You want to help prevent a problem before it becomes an issue. It's the same as looking after your mental health when you're already feeling well. Thankfully, there is a lot you can do at home. So how can you keep your teeth and your gums in excellent shape? Well, you can brush your teeth twice a day for the recommended two minutes at a time. I like to whack on some music and maybe even dance while I brush so as to ensure I never underestimate the amount of time required to get a really good clean. It will always feel like more than you think you need. Obviously brush them last thing at night and at least one other time during the day. 
with the toothpaste ideally containing stannous fluoride. I like to hedge my bets by using toothpaste specifically designed for sensitive teeth. Use small circular movements with a soft to medium bristle brush and try to avoid brushing your teeth from side to side, another thing I've been guilty of in the past. Change your toothbrush or your electric toothbrush refill head every two to three months, I know, a lot more often than you might think, or sooner if it becomes worn. This is something I'm definitely guilty of forgetting to do myself, but it is so important. Just make it easier on yourself by popping a little reminder in your phone. Don't brush straight after eating. Some foods and drinks can soften the enamel of your teeth, so leave it for at least an hour before you go for a brush. This one might be a hard pill to swallow, but have sugary foods and fizzy and acidic drinks less often. Try to have them just at meal times if you can, and don't just do this for your teeth. The truth is less sugary foods in your diet will also downregulate your stress response. If you grind your teeth, talk to your dental team about whether you should have a mouth guard made to wear at night. I know, extremely glam, but very important and very effective. And look, I know it's tough right now with COVID, but brighter days are coming, so make sure to visit your dental team regularly as often as they recommend you come in and not just when you find yourself with an issue. So if you're like me, an anxious Annie who also suffers from tooth and gum sensitivity while trying to simply enjoy your comfort foods, calm your sensitivity in an instant with Oral-B Sensitivity and Gum Calm from the world's number one recommended dental brand. It's medically proven to instantly calm sensitive teeth and soothe your poor fiery gums. And with over 3,000 five-star reviews, it's a must-have in your oral care routine. Pick a pack up at your nearest Duns and then we're all set to go back to worrying about all of the other things occupying our minds, such as what other people think of you, or whether that text you got was maybe a little bit passive aggressive, or how you're going to break up with someone, or how you're going to get out of that thing you don't want to do, or what's going to happen in the future, or where your career is going. There is so much to be anxious about right now with COVID, but don't worry, that's what Owning It The Anxiety Podcast is here for, and we will get you back on the straight and narrow with lots of coping mechanisms and amazing life skills. For your teeth, there's Oral-B. Hurrah! Oral-B, brush like a pro. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.